right, welcome once again, and what a glorious day to come and worship our Savior Jesus. We've been, since last week, Palm Sunday, celebrating with Pastor Kevin teaching, and then we've met here each night this week in prayer, looking into God's Word and uh, singing as well, singing, prayer, study of God's Word. Not in that order, because I keep messing it up. But uh, we've met here each night this week in worship to our Lord, and it's been just a, a glorious time to celebrate, especially Good Friday, coming together with the body of Christ. And I'd said on Good Friday for the last 22 years, we have done it this way. We set up a low, very low, low communion table in the back. I sit and kneel on the floor, and I, I was glad when that was done. <laughs> And serve each family communion uh, as we worship the Lord. And every year but COVID, we kind of got a hiccup that year. So we probably did something online that year, but it wasn't quite the same as it was for all of us. But what a glorious time and a week to spend just worshiping the Lord, really renewing my spirit, my love for Jesus, and I hope you as well. So on... uh, We advertised on Thursday, we had a brand new website coming up, and it actually went online on Wednesday. Bob was worried that I'd wake up early, which I do, and I would look to see if it was there, and if it wasn't, I might say something, but so he got in there early. And uh, it didn't really surprise me, although it has impacted us, that Thursday afternoon, if you're in this area, you know we had high winds, and we had a power outage here, and we had several surges hit the building, and uh, we've had some issues. And so, fortunately, we have the video cameras running, um, took out our internet, and had to get new modems. We had two modems, now we have one that does both jobs, and then the routers that go with the modems were gone, our radio station soundboard is gone, um, I even heard this morning that our very expensive soundboard uh, did not turn on like it used to, so it's got a hiccup in it. Uh, there's a router on the back for the video system that was burned out, and uh, that's all that we've discovered so far. And I told the church on Friday, I said it really didn't surprise me because the Word of God tells us that Satan is the prince of and power of the air prince and power of the airwaves. And we are what we are doing with radio and video and internet actually using the airwaves to proclaim the gospel. And so it really didn't surprise me. I hate the hit that it's going to cost the church to repair these items. But, uh, you know, our soundboard for our radio station served us for seven years. So I guess it's time to retire and to get another one. But uh, I spent Friday morning kind of chasing down some of these things and kind of getting things going. Then Friday evening, uh, the guys working out other issues and still discovering. Hopefully you don't discover anything more. Keep that in your prayers. Someone asked about the new website this morning and the giving tab. So if you're accustomed to giving through the website, that we have a new bank now. The easiest way to say it, we have a new bank. You'll have to go to the website and put your information in again to start, if you're doing an automatic withdrawal or a one-time gift, 
you have to go to the new website to set that up. We're currently allowing the other one to carry over for a month, but it will eventually go off. So I would encourage you, um, if that's how you give tithes to this fellowship, uh, go to the new website to set that up. Go to the new website and check it out. Uh, it is so much better than what we had, and we've got to be able to build upon this and have so much more capability. One of the things is to be able to stream video through the website, and we won't have to go to and depend on uh, social media like Facebook and YouTube, who absolutely hate the church these days. We won't have to depend on them to be that means to get the gospel across, although we'll keep using them until they kick us off. And I was told on a Wednesday night after I taught, uh, one of the guys here on a Wednesday said, you're going to get kicked off one of these days. And it's like, that's fine. I'm not going to stop proclaiming what the word of God teaches, even though our world and culture is trying to put forth another thing. Uh, We know what the truth is, and we'll continue to proclaim the truth to those who want to hear. So I guess enough said. Oh, an exciting news for us. So the first Sunday of December and Saturday, so December 3rd and 4th, I think, December 3rd and 4th. See, I have no notes, and there's no prompter to help me. Um, So I've been praying about our 30th anniversary for our church. It's our church's 30th anniversary. Uh, In July, it'll be my 23rd anniversary, so two different things, although I believe the pastor who's going to come and uh, present the Word of God to us that weekend was thinking they were one and the same. So I made sure that he understood that, no, this is our church's anniversary. But um, I corresponded uh, several times with Pastor Mike McIntosh, who was the founding pastor of Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego. He has since retired and given that fellowship over to his son, and they are still doing great work there in San Diego. Pastor Mike is an evangelist. He went to San Diego. He didn't want to go. He told the Lord, "Um, I'll go for 16 weeks. I'll teach the book of Mark. When the 16 weeks is over, find someone else. So he went down. He taught the book of Mark. And they went from 25 to 1,000 people. And he didn't leave for over, well, he's still there. Um, He's still in that community. In fact, they have founded, at one point, 10% of the Calvary chapels in Southern California were birthed out of Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego County. And so God did a great work there and throughout the world. I remember, I think, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, talking once that when there was the Oklahoma bombing and they were driving through to see that site, they looked over and they saw a guy in a red jumpsuit with a broom sweeping up mess, and they realized that it was Mike McIntosh. He was just on the ground helping. But also, when 9-11 happened, and by the time of 9-11, he had become uh, a chaplain for U.S. in the U.S. whenever there was a plane that would go down. They would uh, have two chaplains in the United States that would carry a pager, and it was his month to have one of the pagers 
when 9-11 happened, his pager went off, and he went to Ground Zero. He set up the chaplains along with the other chaplains as well and many others who came to help. But he was there at Ground Zero serving um, the people and always been in in the midst of the action. Just a few years ago, he was over in Iraq and visiting the people who were suffering there from uh, Al-Qaeda and all that. Uh, he's been to Russia when it wasn't legal to go to Russia, and he's been to China. And so he's going to come and share God's word with us. So I'm just excited about that, as you might tell. We started five days fast because of Mike McIntosh inviting churches to join a fast with them. That's how we started doing those. We are studying a shepherd's guide to Psalm 23 in our breakfasts. That was introduced to me, although the book had been around since the 70s. I'd never seen it before. It was introduced to me by Pastor Mike McIntosh. So he's impacted my life a lot, and I just am excited about it. Just put it in footnote, we'll remind you, all year, but not every week, all year. And pray for us as we prepare that celebration. We are going to invite the other Calvaries to come and join us, and so it should be a great celebration So let's go ahead and uh, do what we came here to do, get into the teaching of God's word, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But first, since we do not take a formal offering, we have an agape box in the back. You can give online. You can give through a check in the mail. Uh, People do it so many different ways today. I do want to ask the Lord's blessing upon the gifts received here today and ask God to bless the teaching of his word. So, Father, we thank you for this day to gather together as the body of Christ, to have this opportunity to look into your word, to look specifically today at the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and Matthew describing some of the events that took place on the day of your resurrection and days that followed after that. So, Father, bless us today as we look into your word. May it be a blessing to our hearts. Help us to see new things, perhaps, that we have never saw before. But, Lord, also just refresh those things in our heart. Give us the joy of your resurrection. Give us the excitement that you have come from the grave. And we also ask, Lord, that you would bless the gifts given to this fellowship And Father, you have blessed the gifts given here. You've allowed us to be established in this community for nearly 30 years. And uh, we are so grateful, Father, for being able to be a light in this community. And today in a variety of ways through a physical location, through radio, through Internet ministries, through video, all that you've given us, Lord. Continue to bless us. And help us, Lord, to bring glory to your kingdom. We ask in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I heard one sing that. (laughs) Matthew 28. And uh, we're going to be looking at living the resurrection life. The events as described by Matthew, and I've broken this. In a few sections, we have do not be afraid in verses 1 through 7, rejoice, verses 8 through 10, stolen or risen, 11 through 17, and commissioned to serve, verses 18 through 20. And I will go ahead and just begin by reading verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, 
As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So before placing Jesus in the tomb, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had wrapped his body in strips of linen that were bound, Scripture tells us, by a hundred pounds of a mixture of myrrh and aloes. And since it was kind of a rush, now it doesn't seem like a rush, but it was a rush to get Jesus in the grave because the Sabbath was approaching, so they had to not do any work on the Sabbath according to Jewish law. And so it was a quick burial. The women were there and watched Joseph and Nicodemus do this burial, roll the stone in front of the tomb, and they felt that they had done a poor job. It would be like me tying a bow, some fancy bow that Lily asked me to tie and then watch her correct the tying of my bow. And she would think that's just not going to do. And I am sure that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the other women who came to the tomb, they just thought, no, 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 this just will not do. So they wanted to properly anoint the body of Jesus. And the women who were named in the gospel, all the gospels, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome and Joanna. In Luke 23:56, it tells us they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. They just wanted to express their love for Jesus. And often those who have been radically saved by Jesus will do things that most people will not. Mary Magdalene, according to the word of God, Luke 8, 2, Jesus had cast out of her seven demons. And I would say that is someone who has been radically saved. But think about this. We have each, if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have each been radically saved. This is because the gift of salvation was made possible through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves in order that he might present us without spot before his Father in heaven. And I would say that is radical salvation. Jesus did for us what we could not, cannot do for ourselves that would enable him to present us spotless before the Father in heaven. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In verses 2 through 4, it tells us, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now, the stone was a large circular slab. It could be anywhere from six to eight feet in circumference. So right around six, my arms don't go out to eight feet. Uh, but six to eight feet in circumference and about anywhere from eight to 12 inches thick, estimated of weighing some 2,000 pounds. So when the women in the other Gospels 
as they were coming to the garden tomb and thought among themselves, who will roll back the stone? It's because it was a large stone that was also dropped in a niche in the bottom inside a slot that would seal the door and then it would have to be rolled up the slot and dropped in another niche at the top to hold the door open. And so this was man's work. Sorry, ladies. And uh, I probably wouldn't be a very good man to do such work these days. Uh, my shoulders are shot, so I would get other men say, roll it up. But they didn't have to worry about that. They didn't have to do it. An angel did it for them. There was an earthquake, maybe an aftershock. There was an earthquake when Jesus died on the cross three days later. The place is shaking again. And the tomb was opened. And the angel sat upon the tomb. And the guards who were placed there to present, prevent Jesus' disciples from stealing away his body. They became as dead men as the fear of these angels just shook through their bodies. Their countenance was like lightning, their clothing as white as snow. Now, let me ask you a question. How would you do if you spent the whole night in a graveyard? Anybody ever <laughs> spent a whole night in a graveyard? I could ask that question. <laughs> Someone said, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Your time is coming. Anyone living here today? <laughs> so that might be just eerie enough. When I was a boy with our church, uh, boys, youth, we went camping once uh, at a it was a Boy Scouts, the Royal Ambassadors type program. We were called the Royal Ambassadors. I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. I still remember those things. But um, we stayed at a, a Boy Scouts camp that was next to a graveyard where it was told that there were Satan worshipers there. And it stormed that first night that we were there. And we were inside this shelter that had a concrete floor and it was pouring really bad outside. And I was in my sleeping bag, and I was kind of nervous about the Satan worshipers that might come and get me. And I heard the crunching of leaves coming. And it took me a while to realize that there was leaves underneath my sleeping bag. And it was only my jittery feet that was causing that fear. And that's usually the case, but not this time. They experienced an earthquake. They saw a man whose, whose appearance was as lightning, his clothing as white as snow. It was more, though, than an otherworldly encounter. God's prophetic word was being fulfilled. As it says in Psalm 16:10. For you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. It is true that God could have resurrected Jesus, took him right back to heaven without anyone ever opening the tomb to take a look to see if the tomb was empty. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the ultimate proof that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, just as he proclaimed. Therefore, Jesus' resurrection was witnessed by both believers and unbelievers. 
verses 5 through 7, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As I said, come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Seeing the angel's brilliance countenance, well, it caused the women to be afraid, but they didn't pass out like dead women, like the soldiers who passed out like dead men. I thought about that maybe for the first time this morning. They were accustomed to seeing the miraculous works of Jesus Christ. They had grown accustomed to seeing Jesus do marvelous things. And yet they were, they were afraid. That's why the angel said, do not be afraid. It's not that they did not fear, but they probably thought, all right, Lord, what are you up to? It did not shock them to the point of passing out. Then the angel spoke to them, calmed their fears, confirmed that Jesus, who had been crucified, was no longer in the grave. Angels, according to Hebrews 1.14, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? The work of the angels sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation. Romans 6.10, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. The life that he lives, he lives to God. The angel testified, Yes, he was crucified, but he is not here. For the death that he died, he died once and for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. And after the inviting the women to come and see where they had laid him, to see the empty tomb, the angel instructed them to go quickly and tell his disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. And it's clear that both the radically saved and also unbelievers can have encounters with the miraculous with Jesus Christ. The important thing is how we respond. So rejoice, verses 8 through 10. So they went out from the tomb with fear, verse 8, and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. The women were filled with mixed emotions. They had experienced both fear and great joy. Psalm 2.11 tells us, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And that's how we should approach our worship, with fear and joy. Fear of the awe and the presence of God, but also the joy that he would save people like you and me. All they had was the testimony of the angel, which is remarkable indeed. They had not seen Jesus yet. But still, their obedience to the word of the angel was key to them receiving greater revelation. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Those steps of faith that we take helps to bring greater revelation of Jesus Christ into our lives. But you have to be willing to take the first step of faith. 
In verse 9, we find for them, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worship him. Now, Matthew doesn't tell about Jesus ministering personally to Mary Magdalene and then also with the other women, but separately. And the other gospels telling us that Mary Magdalene was the first to see Jesus, Peter, the first to see Jesus of the apostles. But here he just combines it. He's condensing this day and they, though they had fear, they rejoiced and they came and held Jesus by the feet. They worshipped him. Their fear was replaced with rejoicing because Jesus had defeated death. As Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57, death is swallowed up in victory, crying O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been swallowed up in victory because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection from the grave. And it's true for us today that when we are willing to walk in obedience to the Lord, we will experience the presence of Jesus in many different ways. Moreover, they were able to hold the feet of Jesus. They were able to worship him. And what a beautiful picture of this great devotion that they had towards Jesus. And today we are able to rejoice and worship Jesus through the gifting of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Philippians 3.3, it tells us, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh simply means that we are not trying to say that we will get to heaven by anything that we will do. And if any still believe that there is a heaven that they will get there one day, less and less people are believing that there is a God. If they do believe apart from Jesus Christ, then usually they're saying it's my good works that will get me there. They put confidence in their flesh. Confidence in your flesh will fail you every single time. Yeah, boys, I've never hit my hand with a hammer when using a tool. And then what happens? Yeah peel that nail right off your thumb. That's what happens, which I've done a couple of times. Don't put confidence in your flesh. Put your confidence in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as we begin to take those steps of faith, every step that we take, he continues to reveal more and more of himself to us that we might be able to be a witness as Jesus commended them here to go and tell. He said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and they will see me. So besides the angels, the women were the first to witness Jesus's resurrection. And it's not that women cannot be effective witnesses. Many have been and many are to this day. 
it causes me to wonder, where are his disciples? Well, we know that in the Gospels, it tells us that they were still hiding. In their minds, they're thinking they killed Jesus and they'll want to take us out next. They were still hiding behind locked doors when it was time to be rejoicing in our resurrected Savior. In John 20, verses 19 and 20, it says, Then the same day that evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said, Peace be with you. And when they... When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw Jesus. And those who worship at the feet of Jesus will rejoice in him and the work of his salvation in their lives. So was he stolen or had he risen? Verses 11 through 17. We look at verses 11 through 15. It says, Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders, they consulted with one another, and they said, How can we spin this to our advantage? That's what politics would do today, right? They heard the report, but they still didn't want to believe. So they decided, let's give large sums of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if anything comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as it was instructed. And to this day, it is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So while the women were going to do some telling about the resurrection of Jesus Christ to his disciples, the soldiers were doing some telling of their own. And they may have told the truth of everything that happened to them at that graveside but they were bribed to spin a lie that until Matthew penned the words of this gospel, he says that lie is still being reported to this day. And the reason they said, we will protect you if it comes to Pilate's ears is because under Roman law, if a Roman soldier lost his, uh, his prisoner... Whatever the crime that prisoner had, he would have to serve the crime. So it meant that they would be crucified in place of Jesus. Aren't you glad that we don't have to be crucified in place of Jesus? He paid the price for us. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that we might be presented spotless before God. Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. These were the rulers of Israel. They were supposed to be the servants of the living God. And they were actually plotting against the plan of God for the redemption of all mankind. What do they say? Repeat a lie often enough, and it becomes the truth. So, Justin Martyr, who was a servant of Christ, who lived from around A.D. 100 to 165, 
He spoke of this teaching that was still being pushed in his day. So Jesus resurrected from the grave. The common thought is right around A.D. 33. Justin Martyr, born A.D. 100. Um, He probably had to grow up a little before he wrote these words. And so we might be about 100 years removed. And yet he wrote this. Yet you not only have not repented after you learned that he rose from the dead, but as I said before, you have sent chosen and ordained men throughout all the world to proclaim that a godless and lawless heresy had sprung up from one Jesus, a Galilean deceiver, whom we crucified, but his disciples stole him by night from the tomb where he was laid when fastened, unfastened from the cross and now deceived men by asserting that he has risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. To this day, there are those who are reporting that Christ had not risen from the dead. It was just in my ears in the last three weeks hearing that someone was saying that the resurrection is fake news. Now, fake news is a term that we use today. And, uh, you know, the liberals like to say that the conservatives' news is fake news, and the conservatives are right in saying that most of the liberal news is fake news, but fake news. And they're saying that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is fake news. The truth is often harder for a person to believe than a lie, and many will still swallow this lie. One of the great foundation stones that is unshakable and unmovable is our, in our Christian faith is the historic evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have to stand upon that. If we can't stand upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we are standing upon nothing. And Paul the Apostle would say that our faith is futile if Christ Jesus did not resurrect from the grave. Paul also said, in 1 Corinthians 15:6, that after he was seen, after that, so he's listing out those who had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, that he was first seen by Mary, that he was seen by Peter, that he was seen by all of the disciples, and then he was seen by me. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep." There were over 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus Christ. We find both believers and doubters, though even among the followers of Christ initially, verses 16 and 17. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. No doubt Matthew is talking about Thomas that the Apostle John uh, really brings that part of the story out. And Apostle John tells us that eight days later, John 20, 26 through 29, when his disciples were again inside together, that this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus came and the doors being shut. He stood in the midst and he said, peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, who had eight days earlier doubted and said, unless I thrust my hand into his side and touch the nail scars in his hands, I will not believe. And he said to Thomas, reach your hand right here. Come on, Thomas, put it in here. That just sounds so weird, doesn't it? We would never want to do that. 
But that's what Jesus offered. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And Thomas, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those, every one of us here, who have not seen and yet we believe. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And it's through faith that our spiritual eyes are open that we might see Jesus. Jesus not only resurrected from the grave, He would, 40 days later, ascend into heaven. Before his ascension, he commissioned the church to serve. He commissioned us. And we close in verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. All authority came from his Father. Paul tells us in Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, they were created through him and for him. Matthew's gospel gives us what we know as the Great Commission, And the Lord Jesus Christ called us to do four things. The very first of these, we are to go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the Greek word that's translated here as go can have this meaning of as you go. And I kind of like that idea of it. There is the sending to go, and I believe that the Lord many years ago put me on such a sending mission when he called me to preach the gospel when I was 28 years old. And there, in that sense of that calling, there was the go. This is what I want you to do. It took me 11 years to get into this pulpit, but I was working on it. I was going. But as you go. So I didn't wait to begin preaching until 11 years later. There was a a radical remodeling of our house that we could, in order that we could put it on the market, that we could sell it. Lily and I and our two children moving to California that I, I could go to school at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. And I say a radical remodeling because that summer I lost 30 pounds doing that work. Man, I wish I was 32 years old again. (laughs) I was lean, but it was because I was laying brick for eight hours a day, driving an hour to the city, lay brick eight hours, come back home, work like a mad dog until I had to sleep, wake up and do it all over again. And uh, tell you the truth, that summer I worked Saturday and Sunday. Uh, We weren't even going to church at that time, I think, maybe time we visited, but I was kind of in this weird place. I was... uh, 
I had been a youth pastor at a church where they brought a new pastor in that we kind of bumped heads. And so I kind of found myself at an in-between place. And maybe we attended church. I think we were going to Cornerstone for a while, maybe at that time. I may have done that. But I tell you what, it's a blur to me. All I know is I had a house to finish and we got it done. But I was going. As you go, wherever you go. That becomes our field of service. As we go, we could be at a store, we could be driving our car and break down on the side of the road. It could be that we're helping someone who is broken down on the side of the road. As we go, we could be at a family dinner today. As we go. Mark 16:15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Ten days after his ascension on the day of Pentecost, Jesus empowered them to be his witnesses in Acts 1.8 saying, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. For this church, our Jerusalem is Lake Villa, Judea and Samaria, Lake County, Cook County, Kenosha County. This region that's around us, the ends of the world, is still the ends of the world to this day, wherever we might find ourselves in this world. We are, as we go, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to go. We're also to make. While helping others to come to faith in Jesus Christ is a very good thing, it is often harder to make disciples. Discipleship takes time, but it is time well spent in the kingdom of God. One of the translators believed that this verse could be translated as, Go then to all peoples and make them my disciples. Make them my disciples. In John 8.31, Jesus said to the Jews, Those who believed in him, If you abide in me, you are my disciples indeed. So how do we become a disciple of Jesus Christ? By abiding in Jesus Christ. In John 13:34, Jesus said, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another." Verse 35, "By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." How do people know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ? Because of the Christ-like love that we have for each other. John 15:7 and 8, "If you abide in me." I think I see a theme here. Abiding, it's important. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. And this is my Father, and by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. By abiding in Jesus, we become a disciple of Jesus Christ. By having love for one another, people will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And through abiding in Jesus, we are able to bear much fruit. So we become disciples of Jesus Christ. Although discipleship takes time, it is time well spent for the kingdom of God. We're not only to go and to make, we are to baptize. We're to baptize in the name, singular, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the triunity of the Godhead, a very great proof text to the Trinity found in this verse. 
We're to baptize in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And don't confuse that when I said the name of Jesus. There are some who believe if you baptize in the name of Jesus only, then you're truly saved. Just remember, the thief on the cross had no time when he said to Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I tell you today that you'll see me in paradise. There's no time for water baptism. They were literally the baptism of the blood happening right there. But to baptize, it's a Greek word that means to dip, as if you're dipping in a uh, ladle into water to take a drink. Nobody would do that today. But back in the day, I remember as a kid, if we come to a spring, we would be in the middle of nowhere down in Arkansas once. There's this fresh water. We went out there. They had a ladle hanging there. Anyone who could drive by could drink from that. Who would do that today? You don't know who's been drinking from that ladle, says my mom. Don't drink from that. But what do you got to do? You got to dip it under. You got to pull it out. The idea of submerging, uh, submerging under the water there. Believer's baptism, it's a sense of our death. When we go under the water, that burial, but being raised up to new life. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through the baptism into death, that just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. We've been raised up to walk in newness of life. Through the years I've baptized people, brothers and sisters, I want to get that right, I've baptized brothers and sisters. I used that term in a paper yesterday, and I did the uh, grammar check on my paper I was writing to turn into school. And uh, they said that my words, brothers and sisters, were not inclusive enough. They didn't like me saying brothers and sisters. So I'm talking about the church here, not the world. And it is right to say brothers and sisters in the church. I don't care about your inclusiveness on this. And besides, there's only two genders, so a brother and a sister is correct. I baptized in lakes and oceans and baptistries in the Jordan River and even sprinkled the elderly. I'm not going to take a woman who's sitting in a wheelchair and drag her into the water. Sprinkling would do it in that sense. The baptism is an outward sign of the inward work that Christ Jesus is doing in the person's heart. And you die to self and you're resurrected back to new life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, I love this verse. If any man, or we would say and woman today, is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. All things are new. And we have a mentality today in our world that says, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And that goes right against the very word of God. Once a drug dealer or a drug taker, I guess, always a drug taker. That goes against the word of God. Once a prostitute, always have that mindset. No, it goes against the word of God. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We need to walk in the resurrection life. 
But it's not the act of baptism that washes away our sin, but it's the calling upon the name of Jesus. 1 Peter 3, verses 21 and 22, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father. Angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that results in our salvation. There is a baptism also of the Holy Spirit that God has promised his people as believers. And John spoke about this baptism. Paul, I was getting a little mixed up, Peter, James, John, Paul. I was getting my names wrong of the disciples. John the Baptist spoke of this baptism and Paul referring to it in Acts 19, 4 through 6, he said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying that the people should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. We're also to teach We're to teach them to observe all things, what the Lord has commanded us. We're to present the word of God, not our opinions. We're to present what God's word says. If I give you my opinion, I can do that. But my opinion can be absolutely wrong. I would rather give somebody the truth of God's word and let my opinion stay out of it. Because I know even if they don't believe the truth of God's word, I have given them truth. And then they have to deal with that truth. I've done my part. We're to teach them. We're not only to be a people of God's word, we're to share God's word with others. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the works of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why we go through the Bible the way we do here at Calvary Chapel, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verses, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we preach, Jesus we preach, warning every man and teaching everyone in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And Matthew closes with a wonderful promise that Jesus saying, And lo, I will be with you always. The author of Hebrews also picked up on this in Hebrews 13.5. He says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things that you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The great commission is not the great suggestion. This is what the Lord has commissioned his church to do. To go, to baptize, to teach. And preach. I did that out of order, didn't I? Oh, well. (laughs) I always have my notes right here, uh, what you have in your bulletin. And I didn't do that today. So I'm a little lost. But only without my notes. I am not lost in the sense that I don't know Jesus. (laughs) I am saved. (laughs) I know Jesus. 
and I desire to live for him. Before we can rightly follow the Lord's great commission, we must have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. It moves us from being an unbeliever to a believer, from a doubter to those who are able to walk in fellowship with Christ. And to do so, we must admit, believe, and confess. Let's stand together as we close with these thoughts. I normally do this on a Wednesday, but I wanted to do it this Sunday morning. Just a plan of salvation that's easy to relate to others. The ABCs of salvation is what it's called. The A is for admit. Admit to God that you are sinners and ask for his forgiveness. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Step one, we have to admit to God that we are sinners. Number two, we have to believe. We have to believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross. His death, burial, resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Believe that he is coming again. Romans 5.8 tells us, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have to believe in the work that Jesus did his death, burial, and resurrection. And see, we have to confess. We have to confess our faith in Jesus and share that faith with others. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the, one, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13 Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's my prayer that you have called upon the name of Jesus Christ. It is the only way that anyone will be able to walk in fellowship with Christ on this earth and also throughout eternity. Let's pray together as the worship team comes. Pastor Kevin will be down front for anyone who has a prayer need. And so, Father, we pray that you would be with us today. If someone here, Lord, does not know you as Savior, but you are convicting their heart and they want to surrender your life, their life to you this day, I pray that you would just cause them to come down and talk with Pastor Kevin, that he might lead them through prayer and show them the path. But the path for them is the same path for all of us, Lord, by believing in Jesus. Maybe there's one who has walked away from the faith and they just want to rededicate their life to you to this, this day. Lord, the uh, prayer benches down front are open for anyone who just wants to come and kneel and pray. Confess before you this day. Pray for your will, your desire to work in this place. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.